All right, we're back. Ruth chapter 3. Ruth chapter 3. So we've seen bitter days for Naomi the widow. We've seen faithful devotion of Ruth the Moabite. We've seen generous provision by Boaz the farmer. We've seen uh, now a hopeful proposition by Ruth the servant. So what's going to happen? God has provided for Ruth and Naomi through the generosity of Boaz. He's qualified to be a redeemer. But if Boaz was going to be the redeemer for this family, he would not only have to redeem the land, which would be expensive, but there would be no heir to pass it on to because there are no children. So, what would have to happen? Well, if Boaz was to redeem the land, he'd also need to give them an heir. Which, God makes a provision for this as well. Anybody know what it's called? It's called Leverite marriage. You can find it in Deuteronomy 25, where um, you, you can marry a close relative and give, give, a, give a child, right? But the heir is not going to be yours. This is what happens in Genesis 38 where Onan is struck dead because um, yeah, he's, he, he doesn't want to get Tamar pregnant. Uh, and he avoids that because he knows that the heir wouldn't be his. All right. Well, problem though is that Naomi, Naomi can't give a child here. I mean, yeah, God's worked Sarah's stuff before, but like she's too old. She, she, she knows that. But who's part of the family? Ruth's part of the family. She's young, potentially able. Naomi, you can just see Naomi's got a plan here. There's a lot of hurdles here. I mean, what's Boaz going to think about this? Marry a Moabite? You know, again, culturally, that's not, not exactly what's, what's going on. Ruth's a pretty amazing Moabite, though. What's going to happen? Verse 1. 3 1. Then Naomi, her mother in law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our, Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on your cloak, and go to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down... Observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So Naomi, Naomi about to play some matchmaker here. She's like, all right, here's what you do. Girl, we got to fix your hair, brush your teeth, put on some deodorant. You've been working in the field. We got we to get you cleaned up. All right. Just keep it real here. And then I want you to go up to where Boaz is, right? He's, at, he's winnowing. We talked about this is at the, the threshing floor. This is what he's doing. It's, been, it's barley harvest season. And uh, he's sleeping at the office these days. So he's, he's up there. He's going to winnow all night long. Then he's going to have some bread, have a glass of wine or two, and then he's going to lay down. He's going to pass out right there until morning time when you wake up and you right back at it because there's, you're, you're on it. You're a farmer, right? Well, after he's done, draw near and uncover his feet. And when he wakes up, he'll tell you what to do. Now, one of the things that is so encouraging to, to observe here 
is tell me about, does Naomi love Ruth? Yes. Would Naomi ever want to put Ruth in a compromising situation that she thinks she could get hurt or sinned against? She would never want to do that. So tell me what she thinks about Boaz. She thinks that this man is righteous enough that he can encourage Ruth to go up there at night and to have this kind of interaction with him and trust that he is not going to try to take advantage of her sexually. This is the view she has of, of his character. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, you heard that before. Hold on. First of all, middle of the night, wind blows through, feet are cold. Look. Dang. What? <laughs> what is happening? Am I dreaming? I didn't think I had that much wine. What is happening? Um... And he says, it's really interesting, it's very similar to Genesis chapter 2. She, he says here, um, Behold a woman. Remember Adam, when God brought Eve to Adam? Behold, Isha, woman. This is the same kind of picture here. A bride is being provided, right? Well, Ruth repeats his words of blessing to him. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. She's not saying, hey, give me your blanket and let's, let's cuddle. That's not what she's saying. What she's saying here, she's invoking what he had said to her earlier. Talking about God being the shelter. God being the provider. God being the protector. To, to find refuge in him. And what she's doing is she's saying to him, Boaz, would you be the means of the Lord's provision? Would you be his wing? Would you be the helper that he provides for me and for our family? She is asking him to be the way that God provides for her family's life. She's asking him, will you be the redeemer? She's asking him, Will you be my husband? She is proposing to him. It's exactly what happened. She's asking him to marry her, to become the, the redeemer. She's bold. Verse 10. And he said, ask me again, girl. <laughs> it's not what he said. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich. Now notice here, Boaz right here looks an awful lot like whom? Like Ruth. Do you remember Ruth in the field? 
when the kindness was shown to her, how humbled she was by this? Boaz here shows the same sort of posture of heart. He marvels that this beautiful young woman would be willing and desirous to do this, not just for her own sake, but he knows this has to do with Naomi as well. And he's humbled by that. Verse 11. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. So notice here, the Moabite thing. It's, 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 it's almost like it's erased. It's not a big deal anymore because everybody knows she ain't, she ain't your typical Moabite. Everybody be like, Ruth the Moabite? Yeah, but you can scratch that Moabite part. She's amazing. Everybody knows it because her reputation among the town is godly. She has blessed Naomi. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Dun, dun, dun. So everybody's like, no! This is too perfect, please! Don't let it be Uncle Bob or whatever, you know, Uncle Jed. Like, this is, no, please! <laughs> So Boaz, is, he is willing, so he's, he's, he's related, he's wealthy, and he's willing, and he's even desirous to redeem Naomi's property and to marry Ruth. But there's a problem. This dude knows his family tree, and he knows someone was legally closer. And he probably got on Ancestry.com just to make sure, you know, he didn't have, but yeah, it's... It's the case. Now, before we watch how it unfolds, one other thing to note. This moment is about as countercultural as you can get for their day. Not talking about the, her proposing to him, not talking about all of that. I'm talking about the fact that there's no sexual immorality here at all. They're not tempting each other at all. Boaz is an Israelite who the, the, the nation right now is characterized by doing what's right in their own eyes. He's had to be super careful because every dude out there's a perv and he's to keep him away from the field that she's in. Like he knows that. Everybody's been, he's been warned about this. He is not like that. He's a godly, upright, righteous man. And then she's a stinking Moabite. Like you're talking about immoral. Like that's just what they are, but not her. Because they both love God, and they both fear God, and they both are going to honor God and one another. I just wanted you to see that this is possible, right? Now, that being said, I do not encourage couples who are interested in each other to be drinking wine late at night, laying at each other's feet. Don't do that. That's not, that's, do not make provision for the flesh in regards to its lust, okay? Do not do that. But what, the point here is that it's possible. It's possible to not do what all of your friends are doing. It's possible to not engage in the immorality that everybody else is doing. Because in the end, let everybody else answer to God. You're going to answer to God for your life. And they both right here want to honor God. Boaz wants this to work. He's not going to put a hit out on this other dude. Like He's, he's not going to take this into his hands. He's going to trust the Lord. He's going to trust the Lord. Verse 13. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. 
lie down, lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. So he tells his buddies. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, this cloak that she wore. Uh, she, she came in with her, you know, her big hoodie here and holds it out. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, and she went into the city. So Ruth leaves before the sun is all the way up, where you can't really you can see somebody, but you can't really see who it is. She leaves. She came, again, empty. She once again leaves full. Who does that sound like? Naomi. Left Moab empty, comes back. She's going to be made full. How's it going to happen? Through Boaz, through Ruth. This is what's happening here. The empty are made full through redemption. Every time Ruth goes to Boaz, she comes back full. Comes back full. Soon, the whole family is going to come back full. A quiver full. God is working here. Goes out before, lights up so that yeah, the town gossips aren't going to be yakking. Verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law... She said, how did you fare, my daughter? You know she stayed up all night. She's just sitting there with her coffee. She's like, she's ready for her to come home. Then she told her all that a man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for she said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, uh, but will set her, settle the matter today. Did you catch her in verse 17? These six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Boaz has Naomi in mind again. This again, you're going to see increasingly so, Naomi is going to be the one who ultimately is going to be blessed. She's not the only one, but God's blessing everybody here. So Boaz had given her a down payment on her redemption, and now we've just got to wait for it to come to pass. Very similar to how Christ gives his seal uh, the Spirit until the day of redemption. Right. Chapter 4. Public redemption by Boaz, the Redeemer. Now, they would have taken you to commercial break again here. They'd have tried to sell you some shampoo or whatever. And, they could, you're, and you're just waiting. You're like, I, what's going to happen? And they come back and they pan down to the city. And they show Boaz walking down there. And they show all the elders of the town huddling up. And you see Ruth and Naomi sitting over here kind of watching. And it's, it's time. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. This is where all the decisions were made. So he went to City Hall. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, my friend. Sit down here. He's like, we got to talk. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took... Ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Now, by the way, this is the way every, everything was done in these days. You, you didn't get a bunch of lawyers. You just got a bunch of the respected men of the town. And they would come and you make a, your word is your binding oath. And there's ways to seal it. And we'll see that in a moment. But this is how you make deals. This is how you do things. Because your name actually matters. There's not, you didn't live by footnotes. You live by your name and character. Well, verse 3, then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here 
in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Oh no. Uncle Jed, this is not... So he's, he's like, yeah, so there's some property. I've got money. I'm willing. I'll do it. I'll do this, right? And I'm, I'm willing. I'm going to help Naomi out here. This is, this is fine. Yeah, we'll do this. Boaz has got something in his pocket. He's like, oh, by the way, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you shall also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. So, by the way, I forgot to mention, if, uh, if you redeem this property, there's no heir for it. So, you've got to take Ruth and make her your wife, and then you're going to have a child with her, and that heir is going to then carry on the land. And this is where the guy says, no deal, verse 6. Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Now, this actually um, would have been a shameful act for him to say, you know what, I'm, this is going to compromise my portfolio. Uh, I, can't, I can't help her out. I'm sorry. It's going to divide my interests, and I'm, I'm, I'm not able to do it. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he off his sandal. He's like, all right, deal. <laughs> this, is, this is what he does. And the other guy's all right, deal. And they just, they exchange, they exchange shoes for a moment, right? Um, now, why, why in the world would they do that, right? Well, this again is a legal transaction. It's finalized here, not by signing a paper. Certainly everybody's heard your name is binding, but it's just, it's, it's a bit of a, a symbolic act that everybody's going to witness, and you're going to remember. You're going to remember that dude took off his shoe and handed it to him. And, and what it symbolizes here, the passing of the sandal symbolized Boaz's right now to walk on the land as property. His property. He has now redeemed it, right? So after this, 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 this unknown redeemer, he, he goes off, off the scene. So he doesn't, which, which I think is a little bit of a nod to the fact that this is a shameful move, even though God is going to use it and is part of the plan the whole time. This guy's name's not remembered. But Boaz is, because he does the honorable thing. Right? So in the same way, we don't know what happened with Orpha, so we don't know what happened with this man. Verse 9. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought from the land of, uh, I'm sorry, from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech and all that belong to Chilion and Malhan. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malhan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate, the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, from whom the twelve tribes came, right? Who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily 
in Ephrathath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar born to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. In a moment, everything changes. Everything changed for Ruth and for Naomi and for Boaz. In that moment, when they are redeemed, all their debts are canceled. And now they are brought into all that uh, Boaz has inherited. And not only that, but now <laughs> all that is Ruth's is absorbed, as it were, into to Boaz. Boaz takes her. He's, he's, he's your mind now. It becomes one, their husband and wife. And they are united. And all that is his is now hers. And there is great celebration. And you, you can see here, the people, their prayer for them is fruitfulness. Give a child. Well, the Lord's going to do it. In verses 13 through 17, we're going to see the joyful celebration by Naomi, the blessed. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Yes, Ruth has a child, but who becomes the focus at the end? Naomi. She who who, who went out full, but then came back empty. She has been made full again. The Lord has been kind to her. Naomi gets redemption as well. Call me bitter, she said. No more. <laughs> she is Naomi again. She is pleasant. The whole book here is about her redemption and God's grace to carry on this line. She is blessed here by the birth of Obed. She even says, this is my son. This becomes her own redemption story. Really in a way that she doesn't even realize. Because her son becomes the father of David, who is the father, ultimately, of Christ, genealogically speaking. Right? Which is why it ends here with the royal genealogy of David the king. Verse 18. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, and Hezron fathered Ram, and Ram fathered Abinadab, and Abinadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, for us, you're like, that's kind of a weird way to end the book. It's just like a bunch of footnotes. It's like the credits that run at the end of a movie. You're like, boring. But, but not, not if you understand the story of Scripture in the way that we ought. Because genealogies, remember, when you see genealogy, genealogies are, are gospel tracts. 
That's what they are. Genealogies are gospel tracks. What they are is they are the tracing of God's faithfulness to keep His promises. Not just generally, but specifically to people and through people. That's what the genealogies are. They're the tracing of God's steadfast covenant faithfulness to His people through His people. Because God promised Abraham that through his offspring, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the way this happens is it runs right through David. And the way that happens is because, once upon a time, there was a famine in the land. And all of this tragedy happened to a family. And a woman came back brokenhearted with a Moabite daughter-in-law. And God worked a miraculous redemption that it just so happened that they came back at just the right time to be in just the right field, to have just the right interaction, and for Boaz to take Ruth as his wife and God in his kindness to give a child that would be the means through which the promise of God would be carried on all the way for Messiah. This is why when you come to Matthew chapter 1, the gospel of Jesus, it begins with a genealogy. First thing you've got to know is that this man, Jesus, is he's of Abraham, he's of David. And you can bet your biscuits that these people's names are right in there. Ruth's in there, Obed's in there, Jesse's in the whole deal. Boaz, because this is part of the redemption story. All the stories fit into the big story. Boaz was of what tribe? Judah of whom Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? Boaz was from what city? Bethlehem. Where was Messiah to be born? Bethlehem. The bread of life is born in the house of bread, and there is famine no more because Christ has come. He is the greater Redeemer. He is the one Boaz redeems them from destruction and poverty and hopelessness. So Christ, who enters in and sheds His blood, to redeem us from destruction and hopelessness of our sin and eternal destiny apart from Him. And then Ruth. <laughs> Ruth is the Gentile bride grafted into the covenant promises of God so that His name is made known among the nations. This book points us to the final book. Listen to this from Revelation chapter 7. The John speaking, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, including Moabites, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said, Sir, you know. I said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He sits on the throne with shelter them with His presence. 
all the peoples of the nations come under the wings of the Almighty. They shall hunger no more. No more famine. Neither shall they thirst any more. They're invited to drink. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. One day, no more bitterness. But all of God's people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will be brought under the shelter of the wings of the Almighty. Ruth is a picture as a part of a story of the greater story of what God is doing to redeem His people that we may enjoy Him forevermore. Praise God. And that's the book of Ruth. So what questions might you have about chapters 3 and 4 and, and the redemption there? Or any, any particular reflection that you're like, this was helpful for me in my walk with the Lord because of We'll take a couple of those and then I'll close this out. I think it's interesting just if you take Obed, he gets the brief mention here. Uh, chances are he went through his whole life not knowing if he was in the middle of this chain. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, perhaps we don't recognize yeah. where we fit. Yeah, I think as with any of these characters, Obed included, you never realize just everything God's doing in your life, right? I mean, he certainly would have heard the story about let me tell you about how your mama met, all right? She was a little forward, but praise God. You know, I mean, like it just told the whole story. You know, I mean, there's certainly that's going on, you know. Um, but to see how it fits into the whole thing, this is the glory of eternity. That's the reason the psalmist says we will thank him forever. And the reason is because these kind of stories, like God, God weaves every life that's ever been into part of the tapestry of the story of what he's doing. And one day when it's all unveiled, I mean, We'll never get over worshiping him. So, yeah. Can we assume from Yep. Good. Good question. The question is: Should we assume that the uh, other kinsman redeemer did not was married, and that might be the reason that he he didn't um, take? Ruth as a wife. That's possible. That would be a better spin, more positive. I hadn't thought about that. That would be a happier ending. Okay, um, may, Maybe that's the case, right? We should certainly assume that Boaz is not married. Um, and I think that's another just encouraging thing. You have an older gentleman who, we don't know his whole story, but he's just being faithful to the Lord. He's not embittered at his old age because he doesn't have a wife and children and all this kind of stuff. He is just being as generous as he can, faithful with, his, with, you know, with his, his fields and anybody who happens to come across his path. He is just going to bless, bless them. So a good illustration there, once again, from Boaz of, of not becoming embittered when life doesn't work the way you want it to. Because God, again, not only, not only is you know, Naomi blessed and Ruth blessed, but Boaz is blessed, right? And I mean, Ruth serves as a sort of, of redeemer as well, where she gives up everything all of her stuff in order to, to bless Naomi, right? So, I mean, we see all sorts of people being, being caught up in this whirlwind of, of God's mercy here. That's good. Did Naomi not realize that she had a parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech? Yeah, did, did Naomi not realize that she had a parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech? That's where I, I would say, 
I think they sold it. So I think that's how they got the money to make their trip. It's evidently fallen into somebody else's hands. It either could be because they weren't there for 10 years and it just, there was some kind of you know, thing that, that happened that way, or it could have been that they sold it in order to get money for their trip to Moab. Yeah, the question is, how, how should we think about Naomi's faith seeming to be tied to her physical prosperity and whether that's something to emulate or avoid, right? Uh, I, think, I think Naomi is... Certainly, many of the things that were happening in regards to death and famine and all this, these are written in the law, Deuteronomy 28 through 30, that these are going to be, um, these are going to be fruits of disobedience for the nation generally. And individuals, obviously, are, are part of that. Again, I, I don't know that we need to draw the exact line that this is why all of her life was falling apart. It was because of that sin. It's possible. Um, I think she's just really sad. You know, so, so I would not want to overdo it to say that we should never look at our circumstances and just kind of be above it all the time. They're like, it doesn't matter if I lose my job or my life's falling apart because I love God. Like, I don't hear you saying that, but some people, I think, kind of feel like that's what they're supposed to do. That real faith is unfazed faith. I'm like, that's a stupid. That's not true. Like, you get tossed around. It's hard. Life is brutal. So I think in one sense, we should expect prosperity. Right? I mean, God loves to bless his people. This is one of the overreactions to the prosperity gospel is that people who aren't part of the prosperity gospel freak out when anybody talks about like that God actually does love to bless you. You hear that and you're like, ah, don't say that because, you know, like, no, actually God loves to bless his children. He loves doing it. Now, the way he chooses to do that is has so many different colors and brands and, you know, flavors. So he knows what's good for each of his children. Sometimes it is financial prosperity. Sometimes it is a bunch of children. Sometimes it is a, a raise and a promotion. So, so sometimes, right? But sometimes that's not how prosperity comes. Sometimes it's, it's things you can't see or you can't buy, but it's, 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 it's always the other, right? And there is certainly the internal, uh, the, the spiritual inheritance that we have in Christ that Ephesians 1 just kind of details for you. Here's everything that you get in Jesus. That's all certainly true. So what I would say is just always be evaluating, is my love for God tied to whether he's giving me something or not versus is my faith in the, I mean, they're, 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 they're tied together, but I would just encourage you to not be tossed to and fro by the, by the circumstances. And then we do that by looking at what is the treasure that we have that can never be taken away and rest and rejoice in that. And re remember that everything else is just icing. Um, now that's easy to say when you up here, but you know, when you lose a job or a loved one, you know, is sick or whatever it may be, it is very hard. And this is where, again, I think watching Naomi walk through it and say, God, would you help me in the ways that you helped Naomi? Lord, you restored her. You were faithful to her. And sometimes God does, you know, like with Job at the end, restores everything tenfold. But even when Job went on walks with his ten new kids, he walked past the grave of his ten old kids. And there's still brokenness in this world no matter what. So, yeah. I think I rambled, didn't answer your question, but hopefully it was edifying. So, last question. 
Yep. Two, that's fair. Didn't have a child. Yeah, good question. Is it, is it is it fair to assume that Ruth was barren before this time because they had been in the land for ten years? Maybe. Um, well, she hadn't had children apparently. Um, whether that was part of the curse because of you know disobedience, maybe. But. We don't also know how long she was married to him. Like, we don't know. They were, they were in the land for 10 years. We don't know if they were married for 10 years. Men have died on their honeymoon. We don't, we don't know exactly how long they were married. We just know they were there for 10 years total. So, good question. I'm not sure. But she was barren. She, she hadn't had children, that's for sure. Yeah. The other one, the blessing that the people prayed for her, that she would be like Rachel and Leah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, is the, the prayer, the blessing in verse 11 of chapter 4 a, yeah, a hopefulness for the united monarchy? Um, so the, the, the monarchy at the time of this writing would have been united. It would have been united around David. Um, it had been under Saul. It would stay united until the end of Solomon's reign when it split. Um, and I think there's certainly joy in knowing that the 12 tribes are together united under God's king. So I think that's, I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair assumption. That's good. Well, I'm going to pray for us and that'll conclude Bible boot camp. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the plentiful redemption that you have granted. Father, you, oh, you and your ways are amazing. And we pray that you'd help us to have a right um, adoration uh, of you and delight in you. And Father, I pray that you would yeah, guard each of us in our days of bitterness to not be disillusioned with you. Um, but Lord, to, to know that you are good and you do good. And Father, we pray that we would revisit this book and be encouraged and challenged by it. Lord, thank you for the many examples of um, yeah, godly people trusting you in the midst of, of dark days and we thank you ultimately for Christ, who is our kinsman redeemer. We thank you that he yeah, became a man and was uh, like us and that he was wealthy yet would give it up and that he was willing. And uh, we pray that we would indeed be thankful to him forever. And we pray in his name. Amen.